Take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 11, please. John chapter 11, as you're turning there, just want to say thank you for the music this morning. Um, well thought out, and the messages in the songs have just been encouraging. I really appreciate that offertory, Krista. Thank you. You read the words. Um, there, uh, there's powerful messages in them, if you pay attention, that can uh, bless the heart and the soul. And um, the, the congregational hymns that were picked out, too, is just encouragement and strength. And I just wanted to say thank you for letting the Lord use you, all of you, in that uh, to bless my own heart. And I do appreciate good music in the church. And Pastor Humphrey was talking about that earlier. And yeah, you got a feeling like, oh, just get it over with. I want to get out there and let it go. I want to preach. But, um, but you know what? Uh, not that he's doing that, but we shouldn't make it about ourselves, right? Uh, the Lord has gifted you with uh, talents and gifts and abilities to serve him in the church. And why would we want to rob anybody of that, being able to use their abilities to serve the Lord, and it edifies the body, amen, and it strengthens the heart, it prepares the heart for what the Lord has for us in His Word, and we, all of it works together uh, to worship and honor and bring glory to Him, unto Him be glory in the church, amen, and so I appreciate it very much, all the effort and the work that's put into it, especially when it's thoughtful, it's meaningful, uh, and it blesses the soul, so appreciate that. John chapter 11. Also, I was going to mention this as well. I appreciated the Sunday school lesson again. Um, I was telling Pastor Humphrey, I'm a little jealous. Um, I want to teach that. And he's like, well, you told me I could. <laughs> and I said, yes, absolutely. It's just the, the, the feeling is I never get tired of hearing about the Lord's church. Never. Never get tired of teaching it. Uh, and always even if it's some of the same uh, principles that I know forwards and backwards, they become more and more precious to the heart and to the soul. And you appreciate more uh, what God has done, what the Lord has instituted that benefits us and brings Him glory. And so um, I'm blessed, and I'm sure and that you are as well. I'm praying that you are blessed uh, by the teaching of God's Word, and especially the teaching on the importance of the New Testament church. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing. So that's where I come from when I say I'm a little jealous. I wanted to teach it because I love it. I love the church. I love the doctrine of the church. But I'm also very thankful for the ability to have a teen ministry, uh, that, uh, that there's unity in Number one, wanting to glorify the Lord. Number two, the doctrine of the Word of God. There's unity in that. And the benefit that it brings to you as a church, it feeds and it helps edify and grows you, all of us together, that we all, that we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's for all of our benefit. And so... It's a wonderful, wonderful thing when all of that fits together so perfectly according to God's plan for His church. Amen? Amen. It's a blessing. So you are blessed, and you need to appreciate and, and thank the Lord for that, for what He's done. All right. 
sermon number two, John chapter 11, okay? I'm going to direct your attention down to verse 45. We've been in John 11 for several weeks. There's just so much in this chapter, and we've hit it from a bunch of different angles and tried to bring out uh, different aspects and truths from this chapter, and we'll try to finish it up uh, today. And so I want to direct your attention down to verse 45. And the Bible says, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. And I'm going to stop right there for a second because I'll just go back and review a little bit of chapter 11 here. Um, you know chapter 11 has mainly involved the miracle that Jesus performed of raising Lazarus from the dead. In verse 45, it says, Many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did. Now, what things did Jesus do? Well, he raised Lazarus from the dead here. It was a miracle. And we know that, uh, that Jesus could have healed Lazarus. He was very sick. The first part of the chapter tells us that that Lazarus was sick. And Mary and Martha, who were dear friends of the Lord, their brother is, is very sick. They took their burden to Christ. We talked about that last week. They did exactly what they should have done. They took it to the Lord. But then, what was the response of the Lord? Well, I think it was verse 6 told us that Jesus, after he heard about that, waited two more days. He didn't move. And last time we talked about how do we deal with divine silence? When we take something to the Lord, but it seems like we don't get an answer from God. And we talked a little bit about how both of those ladies were somewhat discouraged because when Jesus showed up, they said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother had not died. Well, the fact of the matter was Jesus didn't have to be there to keep Lazarus alive. He could have done it right from where he was. But the reason that Jesus waited, the reason that he was silent was because he had so, something so much better in store that, that could only be accomplished through his perfect will and their trusting in him. And the Bible says that in verse 4 of, our, of John 11 that Jesus said, before, before it, was, it was all even exposed, Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. There was something, a greater purpose in mind and a greater purpose in store. And later on, as we get to the end of the chapter or toward the end of the, the, the scene, when, when Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he knew what he would do all along. Jesus knew all about it all along. He gets to verse 40. And Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes. Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Verse 42 is very telling. Part of the purpose of, of Jesus waiting till Lazarus was dead so that he could raise him from the dead, 
part of the purpose was not just to glorify God, but so that other people would understand and know and see Jesus for who he really was. He could have healed them. They even said, could not this man have, who caused the blind to see, could not he have made it so that this man had not died? They expected and knew that Jesus could do a miracle, but they had never seen this before. And it was a new revelation of who Jesus actually was, because nobody but God can give life. And they understood Jesus in a new way, that he was truly God. And so that's where we come to our narrative and to our text here, because verse 45 says, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but that also he should be gathered together in one, the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews, but went thence in, unto a country near to the wilderness, into a city called Ephraim, and there continued with his disciples. And the Jews' Passover was nigh at hand, and many went out of the country up unto Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then sought they for Jesus, and spake among themselves as they stood in the temple, What think ye, that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man knew where he were, he should show it that they might take him. I don't really have a title for the message this morning, but we're going to see some new things here in this passage. And we have to remember that this miracle that Jesus performed revealed something about Jesus. It was that he was very God. Only God could do these things. And that, that had an effect and a result that it accomplished. And we're going to see three things this morning, we're going to see the effect of the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're going to see the hardness of human hearts, and then we're going to see the result of unbelief. Let's pray, and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us with your word this morning. Lord, I do seek to exalt Christ, and Lord, I do pray as well for the souls of men, those who are not saved here. Lord, would you draw them to Jesus Christ as we seek to lift him up? Use your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Consider, first of all, the effect of the revelation of Jesus. So, again, we saw in verse 45 that those people who had come to Mary, who were trying to comfort her and so on, when they had seen the things which Jesus did, they believed. But then the very next verse says, But some of them 
went their way to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Here we see the effect of the revelation of Jesus Christ. It was revealed again that Jesus Christ was very God. He performs a miracle. And what a miracle! What a miracle it was to raise someone from the dead. There was no more doubt about who this person was. Jesus had claimed to be God. We see this all the way through the Gospel of John so far. And remember the purpose for the writing of John. John says uh, uh, that the reason that these things were written is so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The whole purpose of the Gospel of John was to highlight the deity of Jesus Christ. We've seen and read several times throughout the Gospel of John that Jesus claimed to be God. The Pharisees understood that. They knew that. They hated him for that. Because they said, because thou makest thyself out to be God. Earlier, Jesus said, why do you hate me? Why do you hate me? For a good work that I've done? For performing a miracle? Because he performed a miracle on the Sabbath. And they said, oh, no, no. It's, it's not because you performed a miracle, as if that's something that happens commonly with everyone. Oh, it's not because you did a good work. It's because you make yourself out to be God. Well, they understood <coughs> what was going on. The problem was they rejected it. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Jesus made the claim to be God. But then he backed it up. He proved it through his life, through his truth, through his teaching, preaching. But through his miracles, he proved it. And this miracle... The raising of Lazarus from the dead. Only God can give life. And they understood it. They knew that. And so not only did he claim to be God, he proved it. And now, with this revelation of Jesus Christ, there are two choices that people had to make. Are you following this? The, what is the effect of the revelation of Jesus Christ? Well, you've got two choices. And the Bible tells us in verse 45 that some believed. Verse 45 says, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary had seen the things which Jesus did and believed on Him. Now, this is not, oh, I believe in God, kind of a belief. I don't believe that's what it's referring to. This is referring to genuine heart belief that says, Jesus indeed is very God. He is the Son of God. They believed with their heart who He was. Now, if you're here this morning and you're saved, praise the Lord, number one, that you're saved. Praise the Lord that when He was made known in your life and you understood who Jesus Christ was and what He has done, praise the Lord that you believed. Not just, I believe in God. There's a lot of people who, who sit in church pews, and maybe even some here today, who believe in God. But they don't believe from the heart that leads to salvation. There's lots of people who say, I believe in God. <coughs> But it's not a heart belief that leads to repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ that brings about 
real salvation. And so if you're here this morning, praise the Lord that when he was revealed to you, you believed and you are saved. Praise him that you even had a chance. Amen? Some of them, when they saw the things that Jesus did, the revelation of who he was, it caused them to believe on him. Not just believe in God, but heart belief to repentance toward God in faith that Jesus is the Son of God. But verse 46 says, But some of them went their way to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Here are some who had the exact same opportunity, the exact same revelation, the exact same understanding, and what they did was they went their way and they told the Pharisees of what Jesus had done. Some of them rejected. Some believed. Some rejected. And this is the effect of the revelation of Jesus Christ. You've got two choices, to either believe or to reject Him. But understand this. There are different kinds of rejection. There are different kinds of unbelief that we see in this passage. We find those same kinds happening today when people reject the Lord Jesus Christ. The first is the violent rejection or the violent unbelief. This is the Pharisees. Look at verse 53. They already hated Jesus, but they're violent in their rejection of the Lord. Because verse 53 says, From that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. In other words, their only consuming thing, from that day forward, they were always conspiring how they could kill the Son of God. These are absolute God-haters. And you know what? There are the same kinds of people who reject the Lord today. Absolute God-haters. The Richard Dawkins, the Bill Mars of this world, lots of Hollywood elite and so on. Haters of God. They deny His existence. They mock those who believe in Him. But why do they deny his existence? Why do, if he doesn't exist, why do they work so hard to try to prove that he doesn't exist? They hate God. In their heart, I believe they know he's real and it's true. They don't want to receive it. Why don't they want to receive it? Why do they try to deny the existence? I believe it's because they have to be accountable to God then. And they don't want to change their life. They love their sin. What does the Word of God say regarding that? Why are we in condemnation? Because men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. This is the reason the Pharisees hated Jesus so much as well. And I'll show you this in a little bit. There are the absolute haters of God who are violent. And the reason they deny His existence is because... They have to be accountable to Him. And I don't think that that's anybody here, as evidenced by the fact that you're in church. But there's another kind of rejecter of God that is also here. And that is the indifferent. The indifferent kind. The people who are indifferent. 
You've got some who reject who are violent, but you also have some who reject who are indifferent. Verse 46, these people were there. They saw, and they went their way, and they told the Pharisees. It doesn't say that these people were ones who wanted to put Jesus to death, but they were in cooperation with those who wanted to put him to death. Now look at verse 55. And the Jews' Passover was nigh at hand, and many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then sought they for Jesus, and spake among themselves as they stood in the temple, What think ye, that he will not come to the feast? You understand what's happening here? Here are these people who were interested. They're looking for Jesus, and they're talking about it. Their heart isn't to kill him themselves. They're like, hey, what do you think is going to happen? Is he not going to come to the feast? How do, you, how do we know? Because why? The Pharisees, the priests, the Pharisees, they had given a commandment that if any man knew where he were, he should show it that they might take him. These people were indifferent. And we've seen already through the Gospel of John, how some followed Jesus because of His miracles. They didn't follow Him because they believed that He was God, but because they thought that they would gain something from Him. Go back to chapter 2 with me. <clears throat> chapter 2 and verse 23. The Bible says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracle which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. In other words, they believed like this. Oh, I believe in God. But they did not believe in Jesus as their Savior. And the Bible says they believed because they saw the miracles that he did. But Jesus didn't make a commitment to them because he knew what was in their heart. If they were truly committed to the Lord Jesus, there's no way that Jesus would have denied them. We move on to chapter 6. We see something very similar. In chapter 6, in verse 14, the Bible says, Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Here is the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And when people saw the miracle that he did, they're like, hey, we should, he's, we should make him a king. Look at all that we could benefit from his ability and his power. But they did not believe on him as the Son of God. What am I saying here? These people were indifferent. These people were not violent. They were not haters. But here's the principle and here's the truth. They were still unbelieving. They were still unbelieving. They were still in the same place as the violent haters of God. They would still end up with the very same fate as the haters of God because they were unbelieving. And you know what? This is always the case even today at the revelation of Jesus Christ in the heart. You either believe in Him or you reject Him. You may not be a hater of God today, 
as evidenced by the fact that you're sitting in church. But if you do not believe and obey His call to come to salvation, listen, you are still in unbelief, and you will still die in your sins. Jesus said in John 8 and verse 24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. It doesn't matter if you're a God-hater or not. You might still be indifferent to the truth. You might be indifferent to who Jesus Christ is, as evidenced by the fact that you've heard preaching and you know truth, and yet you do not obey. You are still in unbelief and rejection of the Lord. And you will experience the very same fate as those who hate God. Jesus said you're going to die in your sins if you don't believe that I am He. What is the effect of the revelation of Jesus Christ. How is Jesus Christ revealed? He's revealed through His Word today. You hear preaching. You see the Word of God. You understand the, that God uh, has worked and, uh, through, his, through His Word, through His Son, and that, that the power of Christ uh, to change a life and make all things new in a person's life. You understand it. You know it. but you don't obey it. You're not a hater of God. You're just one who has rejected the Lord being indifferent. But the end result is still going to be the same. So we see the effect of the revelation of Jesus Christ. You either believe or you reject. Some believed but some went their way and told the Pharisees. They rejected him. But then I want you to notice in verses 47 through 53, the hardness of the human heart. Go back to our text in John 11 and look at verse 47. <clears throat> the hardness of the human heart. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, we, what do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. Now, we're going to break these verses down because it might seem a little confusing as to what's going on here just on the surface. Part of this is Caiaphas, who is plotting to kill Jesus. But verse 51 is actually John's commentary on what Caiaphas said. Verse 51, And this spake he not of himself. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gathered together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then, from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him to death. Here we see the hardness of the human heart. In verse 47, the second part of verse 47, and the first part of verse 48, what we notice here is the Pharisees' admission. Notice this. So then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we... 
for this man doeth many miracles. And if we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. Now notice the Pharisees' admission here. They admitted what was actually going on. They knew that it was a miracle that Lazarus was raised from the dead. They knew in their heart that Jesus was God, and they knew that if they didn't do anything, that the effect would be that all men would believe on him. Wow! Think about that. Full understanding, and yet they still rejected the Lord. They knew that if they didn't do something, that people would believe on the Lord. They admitted that this was a miracle. They knew only God could do miracles. And so the point is this. In the face of literally overwhelming evidence, the raising of the dead, they still rejected Jesus Christ. They had no excuse. But here's the application to this. Evidence actually means nothing so often. It means nothing so often. They hated him because they chose to hate him. Why did they choose to hate him? Why such hatred in their heart? What did Jesus ever do to them that caused so much hate? Well, let me show you what Jesus did. Look in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, in verse 37. Here, Jesus has this run-in and this conflict with the religious leaders. And he says in verse 37, I know that ye are Abraham's seed, meaning you're a Jew, but ye seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one Father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your Father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came forth from God. Neither came I of myself, but he hath sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil." and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words, Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. This is exactly what Jesus did that caused them to hate him so much. What did he do? He told them that they were evil. He told them that they were sinners. He told them that they were not righteous. He exposed them 
in their sin. Evil in their sin, certainly. But what he did was expose them that they were evil in their religion. That's powerful. You know what? People can handle being told that they're sinners so often. But when you start to tell them that their religion and their self-righteousness is evil and it's not of God, guess what happens? All of a sudden, they turn on you. Because in their self-righteousness, they want to feel good about themselves and they don't want to submit to the righteousness of God, which is by faith. Jesus exposed them for who they were, evil in their religion. Look at chapter 7. Chapter 7 and verse 19. In chapter 7 and verse 19, Jesus said, Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you keepeth the law. Why go ye about to kill me? The people answered and said, Thou hast a devil. Who goeth about to kill thee? Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and ye all marvel. Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers, and ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, but the law of, or that the law of Moses should not be broken, are ye angry at me, because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Here they had this problem with Jesus because he healed a man on the Sabbath day. And Jesus says, didn't Moses give you the law? And yet none of you keep the law. You'll, you'll violate the Sabbath to, you know, for circumcision so that, uh, so that you, you'll do a work on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses won't be broken so circumcision can happen. But because I make, you hurt a man. But because I make a man every whit whole, you're angry at me? Jesus says, you're not, judging right, you're not judging righteous judgment. Not at all. You go by the, quote, letter of the law in your own mind, but you don't actually even keep the law. And the point is, when they were presented with the truth of God and His Word, the spotlight of truth began to shine in on their heart and they didn't want to see it or admit it. That is why they hated Jesus so much. And the same is true today. The same is true today. When men are presented with the truth of God and His Word, and the spotlight of truth shines bright into the heart, at that moment, people have a choice to believe or to reject. If they choose to reject the Lord, listen, no amount of physical evidence will ever turn their heart. That's what I'm saying. Physical evidence, most of the time, means absolutely nothing. Because the truth is there. It's a choice of the heart. That's played out for us in Luke chapter 16. Turn over there. You remember in Luke chapter 16... The, the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. And I want you to look at verse 27. So you know the story. The rich man, he was clothed in purple, fine linen, he fared sumptuously every day, right? Lazarus was a beggar who sat at, at his gate full of sores. He just desired a crumb from the rich man's table. They both died. 
and Lazarus was taken into Abraham's bosom. The rich man in hell lifted up his eyes, being in torment in this flame, right? You know the story. There was no hope for the rich man now that he had died and he was in hell. He couldn't cross the great gulf, and there's no possible way that anything could change. Well, once that was understood, he changed his thinking. Instead of saying, cool my tongue, he started saying, hey, I've got five brethren. They need a witness so they don't come to this place. Pick it up in verse 27. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou would ascend him. Who's him? That's, that's Lazarus, the one who died, who's in Abraham's bosom. Send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. The evidence would be nothing. Why? Because they would not be persuaded from the word of God. So this is the point that I'm trying to make here. The hardness of the human heart. Evidence doesn't mean anything. These Pharisees had the evidence, and they chose to reject Jesus. Now look at verse 48. Go back. I'll, I'll hurry along here now. Look at verse 48. So we see the Pharisees' admission that these were miracles that only God could do this. If they didn't do something, everyone was going to believe on Jesus. And in verse 48, we find their motivation. Because they said, If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. What was the motivation of the Pharisees here? They were motivated by lust for power at the expense of their own soul. Here they had opportunity, but they said, No, we're going to reject him. But they said, if we don't do something, everyone's going to believe on him. And what's going to happen? We're going to lose our place, our position of prominence and authority, and we're going to lose our nation. They were, they were motivated by a lust for power, but it was at the expense of their own soul. And that's what Mark chapter 8 and verse 36 says. What shall it profit a man? if he gains the whole world, but loses his own soul. And what would a man give in exchange for his soul? <clears throat> and the application is for you this morning who are not saved. There is nothing more valuable than your soul, friend. If you're not saved yet, I would ask you this question, why not? If you're not saved, why not? What are you holding on to that you value in this life, that you're willing to, to, to live eternity, in eternity without God? What is it that you hold on to that you are not willing to surrender to God? Because there's nothing more valuable than your soul. The reason why you sit in darkness still and the reason why you don't obey the gospel is because the human heart is wicked and deceitful. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. You deceive yourself. You convince yourself 
that you have a moment to spare with God. You convince yourself that not today. It'll be fine today. I can choose to reject the Lord today and I'll still have tomorrow. Your heart deceives you. Or that there's something that is of more value here. I don't want to give control to God. I don't want to surrender to God. You deceive yourself. The human heart is wicked and is deceitful. The Pharisees had opportunity and opportunity and opportunity and evidence. They rejected him. They were motivated by power in this life. But it was at the expense of their own soul. Now look at verses 49 and 50. Here we see Caiaphas' prophecy. In verse 49, And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. He was scheming and plotting. He said, Hey, it's good for us if we make Jesus die and it spares the whole nation because the Romans aren't going to come in then and take away our station and our place. That was his prophecy. Little did Caiaphas realize how profound a prophecy he would utter. When you get to verses 51 and 52, this is John's commentary. And so John is writing after the fact. These are the things that happened. This is what Caiaphas said, and John is saying, Well, actually, let me make a comment on this. And John says in verse 51, And this spake he not of himself. In other words, that didn't come of his own devising. The words that he said didn't come of his own devising and his own dictating, but by the Spirit of God. As a wicked man sometimes may. You remember that Balaam did the same thing. Nebuchadnezzar did the same thing. God, the Spirit of God, prompted that, but it wasn't because he was righteous himself. The Spirit of God dictated those words. He put them into his mouth, even though that wasn't the sense in which Caiaphas was meaning to use them. He was a wicked man. He had wicked design. He was plotting murder and crime. And yet, as wicked as he was, and little as he intended it, God ordered him to say those things, and he delivered a most precious truth. The truth was that Jesus should die for that nation. Little did he realize to what degree Jesus would actually die for that nation. Verse 52, John notes this, And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. John notes this, that Jesus would die. Yes, he would, but not for that nation only, meaning Israel. But that he should also gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. In other words, John says both Jew and Gentile would be one in Christ because Jesus died. And it's a precious truth, and we say praise the Lord for that, friend, that you and I have forgiveness of sins today because of Jesus Christ. Verse 53 then reiterates the hardness of their heart. From that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him to death. 
And it highlights again for us the depravity of the human heart. In spite of all that was right in front of them, they would not believe. And why wouldn't they believe? Jesus said in John chapter 7, the real reason that you hate me is because my word is not in you. And in verse 7, he says, the world hateth me because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. The real reason was because of their own sinfulness and pride. And friend, if you're not saved today and you know the truth, the reason that you are not saved is because of your own sinfulness and pride too. Jesus made them look bad. Not because of anything that he had done, but because his life and his work and his truth shined the spotlight on who they really were. And that demonstrates for us the hardness of the human heart. But there's a result of that. There's a result of rejection. And I want you to look at verse 54. The Bible says that Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews, but went thence unto a country near to the wilderness, into the city called Ephraim, and there continued with his disciples. Here we see that their rejection led to lost opportunity. The Bible says in verse 45, excuse me, rather, verse 54, it states that Jesus walked no more openly among the Jews. Meaning he didn't preach in their streets. He didn't perform miracles. He wasn't present. He wasn't around. He withdrew. Not for fear, but because of their rejection. The nation as a whole had rejected him. John 1.12, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. They rejected him, and now they would be left to suffer the due and just reward of their iniquity. Their rejection led to lost opportunity. That has not changed, friend. Those who reject the Lord ultimately will lose their opportunity too. The Bible says that God's Spirit will not always strive with men. And it means that God graciously draws men to Himself. He works in their heart so that they might see what they are, that they deserve the wrath of God, and it would cause them to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith so that they might be saved. God in His mercy and His grace does that. But the one who continues to reject Him is one day going to see that God eventually is going to stop calling. He walked no more openly among the Jews. There was no more opportunity at that point. And the one who continues to reject the Lord today is going to experience the same thing, that their opportunity to believe is going to pass them by. And the reason is because they reject the mercy of God for the very last time. You say, oh, you're just trying to scare me, Pastor. Not on purpose, but if it scares you, good. You need to be, because you should be afraid of the wrath of God. Because He's able to kill the body and soul in hell. 
God is being merciful today. This very moment. And the revelation of Jesus Christ is there. You've got one of two choices. Believe Him or reject Him. The last part of verse 54 says that He continued with His disciples. Their opportunity was lost. And Jesus went and continued with His disciples. This is a closing remark for later messages, but what Jesus was probably doing here when he spent that time with the disciples was preparing them for what was about to take place in the next weeks. They were entering into the very final weeks of Jesus' life. And he was probably preparing them for what was about to happen. And we'll talk about that in other messages. But here's the conclusion, friends. There was lots of opportunity. The people saw what Jesus did. It was revealed to them who he was. Some of them believed. Some of them rejected. Be like those who saw what Jesus had done and believe on him. You that are not saved, believe on him today. Repent. Turn from your own self-righteousness and your life of sin. Surrender it all to God, admitting what you are. Lost. Deserving of God's wrath. And plead for the Lord to give you mercy and save your soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, use your word today. We pray for the salvation of souls today. In Jesus' name. Amen.